Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. David, great episode today with, I guess, maybe the unicorn of the year. That's Devin Finster. He's not the unicorn, of course. His company <laughs> is. It's OpenSea. Uh, what did we cover here? Uh, a little bit of everything, going from the complete history of the genesis of OpenSea to where we are today. Also, talking about Devin's uh, perception as to why NFTs blew up at all in 2020 and, and 2021. Why is society ready for them in today's age? What's the appropriate context? We also talk about the insider trading, which Devin corrected that term to be something else. Um, we talked about that whole debacle, and but you really use that as a jumping off point to talk about the nature of OpenSea as a company rather than something like Uniswap or Aave or Compound, which is a decentralized app on Ethereum. Talked about that spectrum and also asked is OpenSea going to go the whole like committed centralized company route or going to go down the DeFi application route? I asked him the question, what's more likely, an IPO or a retroactive airdrop? And so stay tuned for his non-answer there. <laughs> and uh, all in all, just had a fantastic time. Had a pretty punchy, short conversation with uh, Devin Finzer, CEO of OpenSea. Yeah, absolutely. We asked him a question, can NFTs really get any bigger? Are we at the peak? So stay tuned for the answer on that question too. And I guess my takeaway from the conversation with Devin is like, he's a really cool guy. Like he's a, a humble builder, right? So even when we asked about like, how come OpenSea is blowing away everybody else? And it really is from a marketplace perspective, it's absolutely dominating. Um, he pivoted to like, here's some things that we're not doing that great, right. you know, like here's some improvement areas. And uh, I, I guess it, that's kind of what it takes to build a company like OpenSea in this environment. We also asked him near the end about his NFT collection. <laughs> what what does the CEO of a multi-billion dollar NFT company actually own in, uh, in their portfolio? So uh, stay tuned for the answer to that as well. Guys, we're excited to get into the conversation with Devin, but before we do, we need to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The era of proof of stake is upon us. 
Proof-of-stake systems like Ethereum, Terra, and Solana allow the industry to move away from the hot, loud, and wasteful proof-of-work systems and return back to a cottage industry of individual stakers and individual validators. And that is what we need to make this industry stay decentralized. Individuals must play their part in crypto network validation. And that is what Lido is here to do. Lido makes staking accessible to everyone at the click of a button. By delegating your stake to Lido's network of nodes, you can access the yield offered by proof-of-stake systems and claim your share of the network transaction rewards. Do you have 32 ETH and want to stake it to Ethereum, but running a node sounds intimidating? Or maybe you have less than 32 ETH and you need to pool your ETH with others so you can access staking yields. Lido offers a solution for both. Simply go to Lido.fi, choose which assets you want to stake, and deposit them to the Lido Validating Network. Lido is working to make sure Proof-of-Stake stays as decentralized as possible, and is committed to decentralizing its own validating network to eventually become a completely permissionless protocol. So if you want to stake your ETH, Terra, or Sol, and get liquidity on your stake, go to Lido.fi to get started. Bankless Nation, we are super excited to introduce you to our next guest. He's had a tremendous year, a fantastic year. It's been a huge year for NFTs, but he caught the original NFT bug back in 2017 when the world didn't know what an NFT even was. He applied to Y Combinator at that time where he began working at OpenSea. Devin Finzer is now the co-founder and CEO, of course, at OpenSea. Devin, it's been, I think last time we talked to you, it was March before all of this craziness. How are you doing now, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me back on. I've been, I'm a huge fan of the show, as you know, I've been listening to all the episodes. So it's been a great way to keep track of all, all the goings ons, uh, as someone who tends to be somewhat heads down in company building mode. So going well though. Well, welcome to the Mutual Admiration Club because mm -hmm. I buy all of my NFTs on OpenSea. It's a fantastic platform and it's absolutely blown up this year. We're going to talk a bit more about in what way OpenSea is blown up. But first, we got to talk about NFTs writ large. Last time in March, it was just like the very beginning of kind of a, an NFT craze, if you will, or maybe sort of it was ebbing down. But NFTs over the course of this year have absolutely exploded onto the scene. And I know you've got a great vantage point on this because you live and breathe this stuff, but like, why did NFTs blow up this year? Why now? Well, as I always like to say, I think it was just like the accumulation of a lot of things over a long period of time. But um, I know that's not the, you know, exciting answer that people want to hear. But I, I do think, you know, if you zoom out, that what's really interesting is just like, it's this whole kind of cultural movement around crypto that has really driven this wave, um, which is actually not what we expected. Like early on in our like journey at OpenSea, we thought maybe like sort of mainstream gamers would sort of like come on and like, you know, people would build these like crypto games and that would bring people from outside of crypto in. And, you know, there's definitely been some of that, but it seems to be more driven by this like, cultural movement from really like crypto native people who are now realizing that like there's all sorts of like interesting social and cultural interactions that they can have through NFTs like CryptoPunks and Board Ape Yacht Club and whatnot. Um, so that seems to be, it just seems to be kind of the accumulation of a giant movement and NFTs playing this critical, like, you know, cultural role inside of that movement. Um, and, and, you know, certainly like, just all of the building and all of the smoothening out of the user experience, which is still obviously very rough, has just helped grease that flywheel, bring more people into crypto and 
think it's just the accumulation of a lot of things at the end of the day. Now that's a super interesting observation that you just made. I want to dig into that for a second. So like I like you, I thought the interest in NFTs would come sort of externally, right? Yeah. So like yeah. gaming was a huge thing. But but you're saying a lot of this has been driven by sort of crypto, if you will, exporting its culture to mainstream and mainstream being like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I'm getting one. I want yeah. in on crypto culture. You're saying it, it yeah. was sort of the reverse of what we all thought. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, in fact, we probably should have known that, right? Because that's sort of how the internet worked. Not that I was like part of the early, I mean, a little bit, but like, I can't, I'm just sort of going off of like, you know, my personal experience and what other people tell me, but like, you know, was, I, my sense is it's kind of a similar phenomenon where like there were these people who were just like super early internet adopters and there was all this like cool stuff you could do on the internet and it sort of like spread from that as opposed to like, you know, existing incumbent industries like moving people over, right? It was more of this internet culture that emerged and then like, you know, people dipped their toe and once they dipped their toe, they were kind of addicted to it. So I think it's a similar pattern where it actually turns out like most of this stuff tends to be grassroots at the end of the day, even though it's kind of hard to maybe imagine that uh, early on. So way back when, Devin, when you were building OpenSea at uh, Y Combinator, and I thought it was an, an interesting fact to learn that when you actually applied to Y Combinator, it was not to build OpenSea, it was to build yeah. something else. And then you pivoted during uh, your time at Y Combinator to build out OpenSea. It kind of feels like a change of major uh, <laughs> for Y Combinator. <laughs> so when you were choosing to build out OpenSea, what were you envisioning the future of the NFT market would look like? And then how closely did we actually get there or what, what surprised you along the way? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, my, my style and like, I think a healthy attitude sometimes can be to not have sort of too many like preconceived notions of what the future is going to look like and focus a little more on just like, what are you curious and excited about in the here and now? Um, and that was our mentality. It was just like, there's a lot of um, people building cool NFT stuff. Like there's definitely momentum. It's not clear exactly what's going to happen. We can sort of like prognosticate different ideas and like, you know, kind of make some forecasts. But generally speaking, it was more driven by like, there's an exciting product um, we want to build and let's just go and kind of experiment. Um, but I do think um, we're still very excited about the future of like, gaming NFTs uh, as, a, as a big use case. I mean, Axie has really proven that out. And I think the interesting thing is that if you look at the development cycle of games, they tend to be a bit longer than, you know, your typical like collectible or art project. So I think I'm still really bullish on like, you know, game companies seeing what Axie and other companies have done and then like taking a few more iterations and you know, really pushing things forward, but just it taking a little bit longer, but being really big at the end of the day. I think gaming could just be huge because there's that utility and um, sort of native digital uh, analog to kind of the existing gaming world. So, you know, I could still see that metaverse vision being driven by these these gaming projects in addition to kind of the collectibles and art. But really, you know, overall, I think it's just like, more diversity of NFTs, all sorts of experiments and such a broad technology that um, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be a lot of things. So Devin, some people um, aren't sure about all of that, right? Uh -huh. so, so some people, maybe we'll call them the haters out there. They think <laughs> that uh, NFTs have 
peaked, right? Maybe we're witnessing the peak. I mean, OpenSea is doing like billions a month in volume. How much bigger could the NFT market get, they ask? And they say, well, maybe it's a bubble. I want to ask you the same question. Like, do you think the NFT market can actually get bigger than it is right now? Oh, certainly. Yeah. And I think like at some point you kind of achieve, you know, the a level of escape velocity. And I obviously think we have a, I mean, it's early days. We have a long way to go. And so this isn't sort of a statement that should be taken as like pompousness or like feeling like we've already made it or something. But I, I do think we've made it sort of past the point where it mat, where we have to sort of like try to, you know, correct the naysayers. It's like, why I spend mental energy like telling people why it's going to be big when you can just sort of like point to, you know, what has happened and say like, oh, it's pretty clear. And if you don't see that, then that's fine. Like We don't have to justify ourselves anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, you don't really need to justify yourself. Do, do you guys think yeah. like the right click save uh, tribe is like, it's sorry guys, case closed. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. We don't even have to I, talk was, about that I anymore. Think it was, yeah, it was it was like sort of an interesting jumping off point for maybe like an intellectual discussion. But like at this point, you know, it's been discussed and, uh, and like, you know, we can kind of move on to like more interesting things, right? Well, let's talk about something that's super interesting and that's OpenSea and the numbers you guys are putting up there. So I mentioned billions in volume per month. We could get exact on that. 3.4 billion in gross merchandise volume in August. I think you're on track. September just finished out. So over 3 billion again in September. So it's not really decreasing very much at all. And just to give folks some context, right? Well, you mentioned the internet, the original internet, right? So like you go back and you look at the Web2 marketplace companies. This is more volume than most, all of, almost all of maybe the very popular Web2 companies. It's more than Etsy, for example. I think you guys are creeping up towards eBay type numbers. Um, Tell us about that. Like, how is it possible that OpenSea has found itself at the center of this NFT mania and this NFT boom? Yeah, well, I think it's, I mean, I, I think it's just very interesting to see that, you know, there's this sort of mechanic where, like, you know, you can have a very interesting business and sort of level of, uh, you know, sort of traditional marketplace uh, traction on still a very early community with a very kind of early product. Um, and I think it's just a testament to sort of how much room there is to grow, right? Um, we uh, are really still serving the crypto community and the people who use OpenSea for the most part are not like necessarily crossing over directly into NFTs. They're usually like having to go through a lot of the traditional like crypto hurdles. Um, so I think it's it's pretty, you know, exciting that we're able to have, you know, volume numbers that look similar to more mainstream marketplaces in a brand new space. And it's just a testament to kind of how exciting crypto as a whole is going to be. And I, I do think that we're witnessing, I mean, we've, we've been witnessing this over and over again, but each cycle or each sort of movement within crypto kind of becomes, it becomes clearer and clearer that this is like a giant trend, not sort of like a mini trend within um, within tech, right? It's this, I think crypto is the big paradigm shift that, you know, a lot of people have been looking for, uh, for a long time. Of course, OpenSea isn't the only NFT marketplace that exists out there. There are plenty other marketplaces where you can browse NFTs and purchase NFTs, but OpenSea is really the platform that seems to have captured the bulk of the energy when it comes to this NFT mania, NFT phenomenon, NFT hype. What about OpenSea 
made it be the standout clear winner in the last few months of NFT market volume? What features and designs about the OpenSea platform really made it the winner that we all know? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is like, we're really trying to improve our platform. Like we, you know, um, we were sort of in the right place at the right time. We had a great feature set. We have, you know, people on our team, we're, we're always really listening to what customers want and trying to build the right features for users. So I think that's been really important. But I do think, at the same time, you know, we've gotten some push from the community that we can do a lot better on a lot of different angles. And so I want to start by just saying that we're trying to improve. And so I don't think, you know, I'm always hesitant to talk about what we're doing well because we have so much room to grow. Um, uh, but I do think, you know, the things that we did well, were, you know, we just sort of like continued to uh, figure out like what was important to people when they were browsing and filtering and discovering NFTs, right? Like, you know, traits are really important for NFTs to so being able to have a sidebar where you can like dri- dig in and like easily filter search performance of the site, which is something we're still working on is really important. So it's something we take really seriously, different mechanics. So auction mechanics, bidding, bundles, private listings, all of these things, just like sort of the full suite of um, buying and selling. Um, and then, you know, gradually making the user experience easier for people. So supporting all the different wallets, just being very kind of friendly with the ecosystem as opposed to trying to build all of the things ourselves has been important for any Web3 company. I think it's really important to like figure out what your focus is and not kind of necessarily try to like take everyone else's territory, but be really, you know, friendly and, um, and play into the ecosystem. And we all know that communities are the lifeblood of almost everything in crypto. Uh, Companies, applications, tokens, doesn't matter. Your community is everything. And so having a company that listens to the community is really, really important. And so, Devin, I'm going to ask you kind of an unfair question. Uh, Is it intimidating to seemingly have like an entire NFT bull market on your shoulders? (laughs) Well, I don't think... Yeah. Well, I think... um, you know, I, I definitely don't want to give the impression that like OpenSea is like the one company, you know, moving this thing forward. It is interesting that like we have been um, such a dominant force in terms of like market share and all these things. Um, and certainly yeah, it's a big responsibility to the like to make sure that the product is as good as possible, like fix these burning issues. And we really are trying as hard as we can to kind of like scale the team. You know, we were like a very small team when this started happening, six or seven people. Now we're about 45 people. Um, but like, wait, 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 you guys were six wow. or seven people when like was August, that this year, about a year ago, we we're about six or seven people. Yeah. Six or seven wow. people yeah. a year ago now, 45. And, yeah. uh, yeah. So a very small team that had to yeah. sustain this growth. Yeah. Yeah. So we're really, yeah. I, I, I think for anyone who's like frustrated with our platform, you know, <laughs> we are trying to improve it. Uh, and it's been really just like a challenge of how quickly can you scale, you know, not breaking all the kind of cultural things that make the company work well. So, yeah, we're um, really trying our best. Uh, and uh, it is a big, yeah, it's a big burden um, or not burden, but a big responsibility for sure. Totally. I want to peel back some of the layers there because you guys have gotten absolutely just flushed with users over the last few months or so, all in such a short amount of time, right? So 
what are these users telling you, both the new users, the old users? Like, what are the most commonly requested features? What are the most commonly, like, surface complaints? Like, what do the users demand in 2021 when it comes to OpenSea and NFTs? Yeah, I think, um, you know, trust and safety is a big one we're investing in. So ensuring that, like, when you find something on OpenSea, it is, like, the sort of verified version of what you're looking for. And it's not, you know, anyone can create an NFT now. So that means that you can create an NFT that resembles a legitimate one. So just figuring out how we deal with that problem in like more creative ways. Uh, Curating for quality and filtering out scams and stuff like that. Exactly. So just doing a better job of like manual curation, algorithmic curation, ensuring that the best content gets filtered to the top, right? That seems like a, almost like a Google type job. The thing that Google did for the web was like, just curate links for us, right? Help us search things. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I think it, I think there's a lot of like interesting analogs there. Here we're de- dealing with like sort of more structured data, whereas like mm-hmm. web pages were just these giant like HTML things. So it's a little bit of a different problem. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, you know, similar. Um, and then, you know, there's also the external challenges, right? Where like people are getting, you know, scammed or fished on discord or whatnot. So dealing with those sorts of challenges, um, you know, now they're actually a really interesting one that's popping up that we're working on is like, you know, now NFTs have almost become this like free messaging platform. Like you have your OpenSea account with like your stuff in it and anyone can send an NFT to you without you needing to accept the NFT. And so now people are sending, especially on Polygon, they send people these, maybe you guys have experienced it, these spam NFTs. And so giving users greater control over their profile and like what kind of bids they see, what kind of stuff they see there, like those sorts of um, challenges are, are another one that is a big, a big user pain point. And then I think the one that's maybe not spoken about as much by the like more vociferous members of the crypto community, but is a big pain is just people who are trying to get in and like, have to go through, you know, get crypto somehow and then get it into MetaMask. And, you know, the traditional like crypto onboarding challenges hit us pretty hard as well. Devin, do you find um, users uh, complaining about gas fees, like do gas oh, then, fees yeah, and that I sort of transit? Yeah. Does that become your problem? Like, so I've been personally shocked at myself because like uh, you guys know me on Bakeless. I do not like to spend ETH. That's a yeah. thing I do not like to do. Yeah. And then I found myself on OpenSea and I'm like, I'm like spending hundred dollars or more, yeah. right? Like to mint something. And David's like, those are rookie numbers, but <laughs> brother, <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm surprised that, um, I, it's been surprising for me to see the amount of demand for NFTs and how, uh, NFT like um, purchasers and users are willing to spend massive amounts of money to, uh, to do things in this world. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious your, your thoughts on, all of that, I guess, is this a kind of a growing concern? Um, do you think it's a show of, of maybe of strength of NFTs that that people are? It's got product market fit. People are willing to 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 go to these lengths to mint them. What's your take here? Well, no, I mean, I think it's a very strong indicator of like product market fit. The fact that like people are paying hundreds of dollars, like I don't even list their first. You know, there's a setup process on OpenSea where you have to pay a gas fee and like that often costs a lot of money and just like people going through that demonstrates that there's so much strong demand here. Um, I do think like, you know, to your question of like, you know, having to use ETH, right. You can have like a process where you like restock up on ETH every time you pay gas, but oftentimes like, you know, you don't think, you don't necessarily think to do that. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think like the barriers to entry are so high. The fact that people are like, you know, doing it is just such an indicator that there's so much potential. Um, I mean, on Polygon, for example, like that's sort of a testing ground. And it's, you know, some of these other layer ones and all these other things are like kind of testing grounds for what it looks like when you're when users don't have to worry about that. For example, on Polygon, we pay gas fees, which is kind of nice. The challenge is that you you do run into like the gas fee is almost this kind of like interesting and inefficient spam reduction spam system, filter. right? Yeah, I guess that's kind of what it's for, right? But it yeah. I mean, it has like these sort of like it does it in a really weird way, I guess. Um, and you don't have that on something like Polygon, so then you sort of have these different problems that come up when when the application is paying the gas. Um, so I think application developers and users are kind of trying to figure out like what's the best way to provide a good onboarding, but then also like have these like checks and balances in place. I want to get your take on this because I think this is a big secular trend that we've just um, entered into. And this is like social social media platforms and Web 2 mm. now starting to come to Web yeah. 3, right? Yeah. So like uh, we've seen glimmers of this with Reddit, right? They're doing yeah. tokenized stuff. But now we're seeing it with NFTs and we're yeah. seeing it in a big way. So, uh, you know, the the newsletter platform that we use on Bankless is called Substack, right? And we have been, be- I've been, literally been begging them for the last two years to add ETH as a payment option, right? Yeah. Pay by credit card. We do something manual if they want to pay by crypto. Mm-hmm. They still haven't done it yet, okay? Yeah. But you know what we get as a release uh, a couple weeks ago is like the ability to, embed nfts from OpenSea in substack which is super cool and like they're a smaller platform they're not the only ones twitter now the ability to authenticate nfts as part of a twitter profile that's huge tiktok now starting to experiment in in the space and what i've sort of seen devin is like there seem to be almost three steps to this of web two entering web threes like step one they start experimenting they're minting something they got some content that's what tiktok's doing now but that's what twitter did a couple months ago and then they get into the we want to authenticate nfts on our platform that's where twitter is i expect that's where like the tiktoks of the world are going next i i expect they'll want to start like minting content maybe directly from uh their platforms but like tell us about this trend is this a big deal for nfts yeah and what does this mean for OpenSea? yeah i think it's a huge deal i mean i think what's so cool about web3 and maybe what um is, is sometimes overlooked is it's in the same way you know the internet was sort of built on the fact that everyone had personal computers right that was like a sort of critical building block like Web three is, and then Web three is built on all of the kind of like information distribution infrastructure that was like built through Web two, right? Like it's now nearly trivial to like contact anyone else in the world, right, through Twitter or whatever social media thing, and and just and spread information across the world. And so um, these, when when you add the like this sort of new primitive on top of that those rails, I think what we might see is just like way faster growth than maybe is expected. And it's interesting because, you know, we had slow growth for a really long time. And then if you look at our trajectory, it was like, boom, like unprecedented. And I could see that same sort of like unprecedented sort of defying the laws of physics level of like trajectory for crypto as a whole. I'm not just speaking of NFTs because we're not really dealing with hardware here. We do have some like technical constraints on like underlying blockchain systems, but 
the rails have already been built to like get this distributed globally that um, I could see things sort of like moving really quickly. Right. And, it, and it's scary, I think, actually, in some ways. Um, but I think the to, to the question around like, you know, this Web 2, Web 3 thing, I, I think that's going to be one of the sort of I mean, it might fizzle at first, like, you know, maybe some of these early experiments won't, you know, like get crazy traction and people will kind of you know, be like, okay. But I think eventually that will be sort of what takes it to an even bigger level. Yeah, this could accelerate quickly. I, yeah. I'm like, I'm starting to realize that over the last, you know, couple of months. But like, how many, uh, how many people own NFTs right now? I've I've seen estimates where it's like, I don't know, two hundred thousand addresses, maybe. I think it's higher than that because. Higher than um, that? I mean, I think like, like, let's say you know it's it's in that range. I don't know if it's over a million. Do you think, Devin? Or it's what about do you think a, the range? Uh, yeah, I don't want to give any exact numbers, but like. Yeah, I would, I would guess more in the million um, so, range. So yeah. we're in that ballpark, right? Yeah. High hundreds of thousands, maybe maybe a million, maybe a bit yeah. more, right? But like, how many daily active users or monthly active users does Reddit have, right? You know, four hundred and fifty uh, million, uh-huh. right? And like, what's the? I don't even know how many accounts does Twitter have, right? Yeah, uh, hundreds of millions yet again, and yeah. so Web Web two kind of adding this NFT overlay is going to bring a tremendous amount of exposure to NFTs. Yeah. And this thing could blow up really quickly. Like yeah. it could accelerate. We we could be at the beginning of the NFT acceleration, even though it feels like to some like it's the top. Yeah. So yeah, I double down on that. Like seeing web two platforms, they're okay, web two is adopting NFTs in a way they've never adopted like cryptocurrencies and yeah. tokens. Yeah. Right. Never. Not even close. Because I feel like they think they've already got the payment thing, like yeah. figured out. It's like it's okay. Yeah, we accept credit cards, and that's good enough for a lot of people. But like this NFT thing, it's new. It doesn't. Yeah. Exi- you can't do this outside of yeah. Web three. I think it's a great point. Yeah, it's like incremental technology is not going to cause people to like change their roadmaps and like you know shift trajectory or shifts prioritization, but like brand new experiences that like are attracting, you know, millions of new users into these things. And even though it's early, when you see that like growth curve, you know, you can't really ignore it. So I think it's an interesting point. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. 
Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. Devin, I think people, including myself, would actually appreciate a little bit of a history lesson with OpenSea and also you yourself. So before OpenSea, before crypto, where did you come from? And then how did you, can you tell us the story of the genesis of OpenSea? Sure. Yeah, I have a very boring background. I was a software mm-hmm. engineer uh, at Pinterest and was on the growth team. So I like, uh, you know, worked on consumer products. Uh, I left to start a company in the personal finance space that was acquired by Credit Karma, where I was an engineering manager for a while. That's around the time I got interested in crypto. I was like, yeah, just, you know, very, again, very boring, like traditional, fell down the crypto rabbit hole, um, was interested in like the, you know, more consumer, like, you know, at that time there was sort of this like debate, which I think has in many ways been sort of put to rest, but like around, you know, blockchain being a financial technology or it being like, it was like tech crypto or finance crypto, right? Like, is, is it all just about like digital gold and like, um, these, these monetary policy, yeah, monetary policy, or is it about like the new web three internet? Right. Right. And I, I think the jury is out and it's it's a web three. Um, but that was the, that, that was still a debate and there were actually maybe fewer, sure you guys were in the web three camp, but like there was maybe 50, 50 or something. Right. Um, and CryptoKitties, I think, was like the first semblance of something that was like, oh, this is your first like kind of consumer Web3 app. Um, we were the other. Yeah. The other thing was we had applied to YC with a different crypto idea um, and gotten in with that and sort of realized that that was more of like a yeah, like a crypto idea that was like your traditional like ICO type thing. What was that idea? Uh, we were going to do like, it's sort of like helium. Um, uh, it was going to be like Wi-Fi or bandwidth sharing using crypto. So like, um, you could basically share your Wi-Fi with other people and earn cryptocurrency and stuff like that. Um, so not a lot of companies are doing that, but it's more, it's just like a different type of project than like a, you know, thing where you can just like take it to market and see how customers interact with it. Um, so pivoted to, something related, doing something related to CryptoKitties. Um, I think at the time, what was really interesting was people were permissionlessly developing on top of CryptoKitties. So some people were creating like kitty hats or kitty racing, where you like did other things with your CryptoKitties, which was just a cool concept. Um, and then, you know, 
the idea of a marketplace for CryptoKitties and things like CryptoKitties was like something that was a cool concept and sort of a bigger idea that, you know, you could sort of squint and think about how it could become a big, uh, a big thing. Um, so we just kept on kind of working on that and iterating on it. What kept you going during the bear market? Because it was deader than dead. Right. Like DeFi was dead. Ethereum was dead. <laughs> NFTs? And NFTs were never. Oh my God. Uh, they were, almost, like they were barely under. alive in the first place. Yeah, they were like somewhere near the center of the earth. That's how buried <laughs> they were. They were dead, dead, dead. Like yeah. didn't even barely existed. Oh, I think it's honestly just like, <laughs> you know, not really having done a successful consumer startup our metrics were really bad for sure. Like we didn't have that much users, but we had some and they kept on coming back. So like, you know, it was like enough and, you know, they were very vocal. So like to us, it seemed like we had adoption like a bit and like, and, and then also within the developer community there, that was where you saw the real momentum, like just people really excited about it. still building. So it seemed dead from like out the outside, but internally like within the small niche it was actually pretty vibrant so i wouldn't say like that it took like i mean yeah certainly you know in hindsight now if you look at our like graphs like those user numbers are just like minuscule but um it wasn't like we were like really like being there were a few people like that kind of like you know beat us down to some extent and like you know you guys should pivot out of this and do something else but there was also a lot of like really positive signal. And so I wouldn't give us too much credit for like, you know, weathering the like bear market, because I do think that um, there was a lot of kind of just sort of um, hidden excitement and energy in the NFT space. Like we had conferences and stuff still, people were like meeting up and you know, talking about their games and stuff. Um, it was so. just, I guess it was just underground, right? Yeah. Excited in those days with a, you know, a few hundred users per day and that kind yeah. of growth and that, yeah. you know, some developers thought it was cool and yeah. uh, that was enough. I guess what the other thing people don't realize is like, it felt really terrible in 2018 yeah. and 2019, but like, it didn't last that long, mm-hmm. right? It didn't last that long. <laughs> like we're just talking about a couple of years. Can, can you please wait a couple of years right. until you reach unicorn status? Definitely, right? <laughs> like, I mean, that, we're not talking about like grueling decades of uh-huh. uh, trying to weather this thing. Yeah. Gra- granted, right. we, 2.5 years into the bear market, you still actually didn't know that the bear market was about to end. So like yeah, putting ourselves back true. into those shoes, like we could have like at the, in, in that frame of reference, like we could have gone on another year or another yeah. two years. We actually didn't know at the time. Yeah. And I mean, I think what's impressive, like I haven't followed these like trajectories like super closely, but like, like, I don't know, Roblox, I think started in like, 2004 or something ridiculous, right? Where like, you know, and they were just building this game where it was like, there really wasn't, I mean, there was a bit, a bit of a macro trend that they were capitalizing on, but like they had no idea whether this game was going to actually like take off. And they just kept on like that type of like passion and like ability, like just devotion to building like this amazing product is very, I just think, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that, what we didn't do did wasn't admirable, but like I, I think there's like people who have weathered so much more, and then eventually like kind of seen that inflection point when there was really no, there's never a guarantee that you're gonna hit that um, inflection point. But as long as you love 
what you're building, then that kind of like keeps you going, right? So what was it like to be a fly on the wall of OpenSea Slack or OpenSea headquarters in 2020 when all of a sudden the NFT <laughs> markets actually do heat up? And we're like, I'm reminded of that gift from The Office where there's a Michael saying, Everyone stay calm. It's happening. It's happening. Everyone stay calm. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, what, yeah. When, when there actually was like a like an actual moment where like in uh, the winter of 2020, when NFTs really had their first big mania, like yeah. what was that like? Like, was there just like an internal office meetings? Like, guys, this is it. Or like, what, what was the, like the realization point? Well, I think one really weird thing about that was like, so that was February, like, well, I guess like August 2020 was when things started heating up and, you know, it was still like COVID. Right. And so like there wasn't, you know, people were still very asynchronous. Right. And so getting that, like, and we were also just a small team or like six people. So it wasn't, there wasn't much like, you know, everyone kind of knew what was happening and like, uh, you know, it wasn't like, we didn't like, we were just like, Oh, this is very interesting. There was one day where like, it was like, you know, 10 or 20 X the volume that we usually see because of this hash masks project. And it was just like, and we didn't really think it was like the beginning of, of some crazy run, but, um, yeah, it was, I don't remember. It was just like very kind of interesting and confusing. And we we're all just like, Whoa, is this, is this going to continue? It's always the question of like, is this going to continue or not? Right. And then, you know, things would die down a little bit, but then they'd get to just get bigger and bigger. And then the recent one, I mean, this recent last month was just very, that was just like a overwhelming feeling. Cause we, you know, we we're doing these really crazy days of volume and there it was like, let's just like hold on for dear life and just make sure that like everything's running correctly. Right? Nice. And so you guys have had, like you guys had your first taste of success in 2020 and then continuation on that success very strongly in 2021. But also recently, we've had that story of a, a first like bump in the road when it comes to just what it's like to being a company with the, this whole insider trading debacle. Uh, can you take us um, kind of just through the story of, of what happened from from your perception? And um, oh, can you also answer the question uh, how much Ether uh, the employee actually was able to collect from this informational arbitrage? Can you tell us that story and tell us the fallout? Sure. Yeah. And I think one important note is like th- this was not insider trading, right? Because, you know, we sure. don't trade financial items on uh, OpenSea. These are NFTs or digital art. Sure. So there's no notion of insider trading. The term does not apply to us. But um, so I think that's an important note. But um, yeah, and just, you know, to um, talk about that particular incident, we, we did have an instance of an employee um, who uh, made purchases prior to um, items being listed in promotional slots on um, the OpenSea homepage. Um, and uh, we we did end up letting go of this employee. Um, we've had internal policies around what uh, the use of confidential information at OpenSea and the knowledge that certain things will be promoted. Um, but we really use this as an opportunity to strengthen those policies um, and ensure that they were like crystal clear, both for employees and also like, crystal clear to people externally that, you know, it, uh, employees are not, um, uh, allowed to use confidential information on the platform to, uh, make decisions around buying and selling NFTs. Um, and so we view this as an opportunity, you know, this is completely uncharted territory because these, you know, this is not an exchange. It's, it's a marketplace for consumer items. And, um, so we have taken this as an opportunity to really like, pioneer some of those policies and ensure that we're like 
really being forward thinking about it. And luckily, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this was a very small instance of a problem. Um, and so really like, um, you know, we saw this as, uh, a, you know, a responsibility to the community to push the space to a place where, um, you know, people on OpenSea have a level playing field um, and uh, ensuring that those policies are, are super clear. Um, in terms of the monetary amount, I think it was like 50 grand or something like that. So again, right, this is like really small, you know, not going to make a huge difference um, in someone's like crypto, you know, uh, financial s- state. Um, and so, it, you know, it was, uh, it was an unfortunate event, but again, like, something that was um, quite small, but but was a useful opportunity for us to really solidify those policies. Yeah, just throwing out some thoughts there, Devin, as, as you think about that. So like when I first heard about that incident and kind of investigated it, I guess I felt a, kind of a mixed reaction. Maybe I'm speaking for others in crypto there, right? The first reaction is like, oh, interesting. This is all on a public emphasis on public permissionless blockchain. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool that the community can see exactly what's going on, right? So we have a layer of transparency in open finance that like people would have never seen this or caught this in uh, the existing system. So that's a plus. The other side of me was like, okay, crypto industry, we got to do better because if we don't figure this out, right? Um, regulators are going to come to us and start asking questions and, um, you know, deservedly so, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are there centralization vectors? Are you using those centralization vectors to uh, screw over customers? I think that's a fair question that um, regulators can pose to to any centralized service or any so-called DeFi service in the space too. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like just what can crypto do more broadly or DeFi or the NFT space more broadly to uh, self-police, to self-regulate, right? Like, is there a way maybe an OpenSea can sort of say, hey, here's our employees, here's all of the addresses they'll use in the platform. We're using the openness and transparency of uh, a public permissionless chain to actually, you know, provide more information to the public. Give me your your bigger picture thoughts here. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, I think, you know, in an uncharted space that's like completely greenfield, I think that's the opportunity, right, is to really put in place those policies. I don't know if it comes in the form of like, everyone needs to know every address of every OpenSea employee, because, you know, there is privacy considerations there, but like, for sure, you know, ensuring that like, you know, we have clear internal policies, that those policies are clear to our users. Um, Also, I think there's really opportunities to bring in um, more sort of decentralized uh, organizations to get involved in the curation process in some of these areas of the product. So, you know, working with DAOs on, you know, promoting content that are, that's, you know, maybe voted through a DAO or something like that. And like, you know, just having more surface area of the product be given over to um, the centralized organizations in our community, I think is really important. So we're really looking to see how we can better like engage our community in the curation of the content uh, on OpenSea and not make it as central, have as much of a central point of failure in just the, in the OpenSea organization. That said, we, of course, I think perhaps contrary to some crypto companies, we do believe that um, having, you know, an organization that can scale quickly, that can make decisions quickly and is not reliant on kind of like a decentralized group of people to make every single product decision 
is really important if we're going to like serve our customers well, listen to customer feedback and move quickly as a company. So there's a balance there. Um, but I totally agree that like, you know, this is an opportunity and, and this is what we're working on um, to put in place those policies that hopefully other companies, since there's going, there are a lot of marketplaces, there'll be more and more um, companies that, you know, per- participate in the NFT space can uh, look to and model um, and adapt policies as well. So where this conversation goes and kind of why I wanted to bring up this conversation in the first place is that uh, it's illustrative of OpenSea that OpenSea is a company, not an app, right? It's not it's not a decentralized exchange. It's not a dApp on Ethereum. It's a set of smart contracts on Ethereum that helps a company operate, but it's a centralized company, which while it's a sign of maturity and growth, I think of the Ethereum and DeFi ecosystems that we are starting to have these centralized companies that are operating by smart contracts. OpenSea is not the only one. DYDX also comes to mind as well. Um, but at the same time, like there's a reason why we all like DeFi. Uh, and so like, where, where's your head at with OpenSea and its future as it relates to like the centralization, decentralization spectrum? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and it's interesting, the terminology there is interesting because I would, I do think maybe some people would like label us as a DAP and we do think of ourselves as a decentralized marketplace in the sense that, you know, we're not custodying assets, we're allowing mm-hmm. users to connect their wallets directly and the transfers, you know, it's a peer-to-peer exchange where, you know, it never is in the in the hands of OpenSea as, a, as like a custodian. Um, so I did want to make that clear. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a balance, right? Like I do think, you know, one of the reasons Uniswap was successful was um, not just because it was just like a completely decentralized protocol, but also because it was very practical, right? Like it made like the mechanisms made sense. Um, it was very easy to swap. The they made a nice portal for like you know the first version of Uniswap, and then of course they integrated it into all these other platforms. But like there's a lot of pragmatism actually to their approach that I think people sometimes gets lost in the conversation where people are like oh, it's all because these companies are extremely decentralized that they're successful. I think also a big piece of it is that they the self-custodied approach of connecting your wallet and immediately being able to swap is a better user experience. Um, and so for us, like it really comes down to like what do we think is best for the user base? You know, and we want to take into account the philosophical leanings of the user base and like you know, the ethos of the community. But at the same time, we also know that, um, uh, you know, people don't always know exactly what they want. And, and sometimes people want like a fully decentralized thing. But then when that happens and like, there's all this fraud and like, you can't actually take down like listings that are just right. fake and like all of these things happen. And then they're like, oh, they want wait. the decentralization without the, without the sharp edges, right? Yeah, exactly. The decentralization yeah. with the customer like, support. And then they're like, oh wait, maybe I actually kind of wanted someone to help with these problems. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, there's all these problems that we're really, and you know, I think some of them we have to take a step back and say like, is it good to be a centralized point of failure for certain things? Mm-hmm. What can we, that's why I think incrementalism is really important. Like giving some pieces away to the community, but not being so dogmatic about it that you like, destroy yourself. Right. Um, uh, and, and so I think just striking that, that balance, uh, is really important. Um, so that's kind of how we view it. What do you think is more likely in the future an uh, open sea IPO or an open sea token airdrop? Uh, we should start a prediction market for that on 
poly market or something. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Who knows? We'll, we'll see. You know, going back to, I guess, the topic of um, decentralization versus centralization, I, I find myself agreeing. Like, so uh, personally, I'm a big believer in decentralization, the lower in the stack that you get, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it becomes far more important. It's far more important for Ethereum to be decentralized than every single component yeah. of an app on top of yeah. it, like an OpenSea. Um, but I think others others maybe disagree with that too, which is, uh, and we've seen recently, there's been a talk of a vampire attack. This was right. a, a, a headline from Coindesk. Andre uh, Cronier has created a, an OpenSea-like project. Yeah. He is um, open sourcing it, I believe, putting it out on a side chain. And he's kind of like throwing down, I guess, right? Saying, hey, we're entering the ring, uh, OpenSea, what you got? And I'm curious what you think about that, Devin, not about that specifically maybe, but what are the the moats that uh, OpenSea has and what's going to be important moving forward? Do you think, how do you feel about vampire attacks? Do you think they'll be effective? Yeah. Well, yeah, first I think you make a really good point, which is like Ethereum is like the perfect example of like where decentralization is so vital. And I think if you move up the stack, like you ha- you do have these proof points, you know, Uniswap, Compound, et cetera. But it's really, you know, the causality isn't as clear always. Like, it's not clear, you know, to what extent did Uniswap adding a token lead to its success versus just being a really great protocol, right? And um, and so, you know, I think that's important to keep in mind is like, um, as you like analyze these things. Um, but I do think, yeah, I mean, to the question of these like vampire attacks and, you know, different approaches, I mean, in some ways, we kind of welcome the innovation. I think there's a lot of things that we do that maybe, you know, folks who are just starting new projects don't realize and only become problems when you hit like a certain level of scale. Um, I think fraud and kind of like curation and discovery being one of them. Um, And so I think anything that sort of pushes the space forward and creates a better user experience and forces us to innovate um, is actually pretty healthy. We, you know, we take sort of the approach of like fearing you know, our customers, right? Because we want our customers to like love our platform and use us because we're the best user experience. But we, you know, in terms of our competitors, if we feared kind of our competitors all the time, then we'd usually be lagging far behind on a customer experience standpoint. But um, yeah, I think the last thing I would say is just like, I, I don't know exactly all the mechanics behind that particular vampire attack, but I do think what we've seen in the past with tokens is they can be like a very interesting short-term like way to kind of incentivize liquidity and like move people over. But um, oftentimes what ends up happening over time is like people gravitate towards the product that works the best and um, in the experience that has like, you know, the optimal thing that users want to accomplish. So um, I think there are a lot of interesting tactics and for sure it's, you know, we don't take these attacks like lightly by any means, but we don't um, necessarily think that there's, um, you know, that we, you know, for example, have to like immediately introduce a token because someone else, some other project has one, right? Like I think there's more sort of like thoughtful ways we can approach it. Devin, everyone thinks that we are on the cusp of the metaverse, yet no one has really kind of figured out what the metaverse actually is yet. We have our ideas, but I want to pick your brain on what the coming metaverse looks like, how do NFTs fit into into that story, and also what's OpenSea's role in the metaverse that's coming, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, I feel like, I think you guys have, I mean, you wrote a, um, one of you wrote like a blog post on it, right? Which I think was mm-hmm. more like thoughtful than, you know, anything I, I would say, but like, um, in terms of, yeah, I, I think it's like going to be sort of, I mean, in some ways it's like already kind of here, right? It's like, um, you know, we have like, if you, if you think of the metaverse as like these really awesome, like immersive experiences, we have some of that in virtual reality today, right? Where like, that there's so many cool things you can do in VR and social and all of these things. And then you have crypto where you're like, you know, able to interact with people across the world and these interest and exchange value in interesting ways. So you kind of have the ingredients and maybe, I guess maybe the interesting thing about it is like, will there be these like worlds where it's like sort of combining all of the kind of frontier technologies of today, like virtual reality, artificial intelligence, crypto, they're all kind of like, innovating a little bit separately, right? Like VR isn't touching crypto a ton. AI is starting to touch crypto a little bit, but like they're all kind of separate. And so, you know, maybe those three frontier technologies, maybe there's another one like biotech or something like start to converge and you kind of get like really interesting stuff, not to like call out a particular project, but one Aletheia is this really interesting, weird project that's like, it's like you, they put like GPT-3 on NFTs and like they come alive and like start talking to you. It's just like so many different frontier technologies all in one product. Um, so I think like that kind of thing is some is like an interesting way to think about the metaverse is just like the combination of frontier technologies. Um, in terms of OpenSea's role, yeah, I mean, I think we, yeah, we're really trying to be sort of, you know, the best marketplace for the metaverse and then also like help push forward the open standards that allow the metaverse to work really well. Right. So like the metadata standards for NFTs, interoperability between NFTs. And that's something that we're just getting started at because most, most of it has been like playing defense and like just making the marketplace work well. But that's like one of our, the exciting pieces of our vision is helping with the, with the standards that like make this all possible. Um, So that's something that I think we'll be investing a lot over the next like year or so. That's awesome, Devin. And I, I know we had to kind of accelerate our time together. So I, I want to wrap up with a few like rapid fire questions, if that sounds okay with you. Sure. Okay. So the, the first I have is this, like tremendous amount of growth in the last year. What now uh, OpenSea is a unicorn company, right? So, you know, you're riding the unicorn, sir, over a billion, at least in value. What advice would the unicorn Devin, the Devin of you now tell the old Devon a year ago, the Devon with a you know seven person team. What insights would you have for that person? Well, the, I'd tell that two years ago, Devon, to like hire more people and like scale up a little faster because I think we we're just running way <laughs> too lean. And I maybe tell the seven person, but we were you know at that point we were trying to do that. It just took a little bit of time. Um, yeah, I think like you know, or, and again, you know, these are maybe the like much older or much younger Devon, but like. Yeah, following your conviction, I think, is really important. Like, sort of not like not over-indexing on like advice from really smart people if it's not properly contextualized. I think is is important. Tell us about your favorite uh, NFTs, Devin. What are your favorite NFT projects? I'm a big fan of like virtual world, um, sort of early metaverse type things like Decentraland and CryptoVoxels. CryptoVoxels is really one of my favorite projects. Where like, you know, it was started out with one guy who just sort of started selling virtual land on OpenSea. Um, and now there's like this whole community of people who are creating interesting art projects inside of CryptoVoxels. It's just like, you know, it's just, you can really like dig your teeth into it and go and like 
do stuff in CryptoVoxels, whereas I you know, necessarily get as much of that from some of the more like collectible projects. And I think it's just, it's one of those projects that's been building for so long. Decentraland and Sandbox, similar, but like, um, I like that grassroots style of just like, you know, Ben, the founder is just so passionate about it and has just been working so hard that I, I really find that admirable. What do you think the cutest NFT project is out there and why is it the penguins? Whoa, you read my mind. Um, <laughs> I, I actually think it is. I would say the pudgy penguins. Anyway, you're talking about pudgy penguins, right? Not yes. Oh, penguins, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably. Cute little guys. Wait, are yeah. there other penguins? Are there other penguins, guys? I mean, I'm sure there's something, but yeah, those are the main ones. There's always other other things. There's always the off-brand. <laughs> I, I got to ask them. I mean, do you own any... These are pretty cute, actually. Just like, you know, you mean, you mean cool cats? Or no, 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 just crypto kitties. Okay, crypto kitties? I mean, yeah. like, yeah. Do you own any like, like flashy big NFTs? Like, do you, do you own no, a crypto one or I anything? Don't, I don't have anything too crazy, no. Yeah. What, Why? Have you just like, just focused on building? Yeah, I just, have you purposely every, every time I thought it? about like going and buying an NFT, I was like, oh, maybe I should just go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> See, David? That's my pain, man. Yeah. <laughs> Too busy f- to keep up with all this stuff. Uh, That's why I always say punk and done. Punk, punk and done. done. That's what you always say? You always say that, huh? Well, I do now. <laughs> okay. It's punk and done. Devin, this has been an absolute blast. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate it so much. Anything you can tease for us in the product roadmap? Anything really cool coming? Like, all the yeah. OpenC users. Well, I think if you guys, you know, our, our launch of our mobile app wasn't like, you know, super flashy since it's sort of, um, a first iteration of it where, uh, as people like to say on Twitter, you can open and see your NFTs, but not necessarily do anything else nice. quite yet. Um, nice. but, <laughs> but, um, the mobile app is really, we're iterating on it. It's getting, you know, we have some cool releases, um, just like incremental improvements to it. Uh, it's really fun. Um, uh, just a cool way to like, you know, open up and, and check like what's going on in the, in the NFT marketplace. Um, so I highly recommend people trying that, um, and yeah, we'll probably, we'll have, you know, new projects, uh, coming soon. So that's live now on, on mobile Android and Apple. Yeah. yeah Apple, well. Android, Android. Yep. Yep. Sweet. Yeah. All right, guys. Devin, thanks so much for joining us and, ex- yeah. you know, talking more about NFTs. I can't imagine where you will be a year from now, but we'll, we'll have to have you on soon. We shall see. Thanks so much for having me. Action items for you, Bankless listeners. Uh, number one is go check out OpenSea if you already haven't. This is the premier marketplace for NFTs. We'll include a link in the show note in case you need it. Also, go download that app that Devin was talking about where you can uh, you can explore NFTs on your mobile device. We also have some previous NFT episodes for you. The bull case for NFTs. There's an episode with Andy8052 as well on YouTube. We'll include a list to our popular NFT episodes in the show notes. Of course, guys, risks and disclaimers. ETH is risky. DeFi is risky because it's this episode. I feel like I have to tell you, NFTs are risky as well. They could go up. They could go down, even if they're CryptoPunks, David. (laughs) But we are headed west. Uh, This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot.